I tried to buy a duplex a couple years ago and I needed a down payment. So the loan with the bank kept becoming more and more requests. And I just, I really ran out of time and I ended up borrowing from my policy. And that was the first time I ever used it. I thought that's, you mean you just wire it into my bank? This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. What's up, Nick? Welcome to the Better Wealth Show. Hey, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you reaching out. Like I shared with you before we hit record, one of the things that we're trying to be more intentional about is getting more people that are utilizing life insurance as an and asset, whether it's in retirement, whether it's in real estate investing, business, whether it's an ordinary family, because I think it's one thing for me to talk, run my mouth, talk about concepts, show show pretty pictures or bad pictures. It's another thing to hear it from someone who's not in the space on the good, the bad, the ugly. And so there's nothing off, off limits. Just in full disclosure, you reached out to us and said, hey, yeah. I would love to share some of my perspectives being in the real estate space. We just found out that we're semi-neighbors in Tennessee. So thank you. 0% income and mostly sunny. Though I will say this, I'm moving from Colorado. The biggest, I think the biggest disconnect that a lot of people have is they think Colorado is a bunch of snow and cold mm. and it's super sunny there and it's less sunny. And I've been less impressed with Tennessee weather these last couple months yeah. All that to say, that's all I'll say. Coming from Wisconsin, I'm still not complaining, but right. uh, I definitely, it definitely makes me appreciate the sunshine in Colorado. Yeah, I will say this last couple of years, it's been more rainy and overcast than it normally has been. Usually it's sunny and we obviously have sun, the snow as well. But yeah, it's fun finding out we're neighbors. I love that, man. All right, so let's jump in who you are. We'd love to give you a quick backstory, and then I want to jump into how you learned about life insurance, how you're utilizing it, the epiphanies that you had. And I want to even talk about some of the negatives because I try to play devil's advocate and really make the listener or person watching to this get as many inputs as they need to make the best decision in their life. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. Go ahead. I, go ahead. And you leave with some questions and I'll dive into kind of my background and where I'm coming from. So talk to me about your background and just who you are and just a little bit of context before we jump into life insurance. Okay. So I've sold real estate straight out of college. I've been doing it about 18 years. Just something that's always been of interest in me. Historically, it goes down into my family as well. So it's just something I've always dabbled in. And then my wife and I started picking up rental properties. That was our goal with retirement. Instead of doing 401ks, we thought we could amass some real estate rentals. And then the recession hit. And so tasted having multiple, we had 22 properties and um, just we tasted that moment of we could lose everything. Yeah. So sold a bunch after a couple of years after the recession and slowly have built back over the last six to eight years. And I sell real estate's kind of my day to day for the last 18 years. Only in the last two to three years have I gone down the lane what again, you'd call like the and asset. And we jumped into it heavy. Part of that is I'm sure we'll get into is just the frustration of banks, getting yep. loans with banks for investments and things like that. Yep. So my, my big question for you is everyone has a different overarching thesis as it relates to life insurance. You mentioned a couple of times that it's like replacement of banks, frustration of banks, which is interesting to me. What do you, what category do you put life insurance in? And what was like the real attractive nature of, hey, I'm going to overfund, I'm going to max fund life insurance. What was the attractive nature of that? I think originally it was just in my being 1099, I'm putting my taxes 
to the government. I'm putting it yep. in a in a bank account. It just sits there and just starting to realize, man, I'm like losing money every month and it's large. Then I'm paying the government quarterly. So what I started to look at it originally was just a nice big bank account to just move everything in the compounding interest or just the compound effect of the money that's going in there. And so my first sort of dabble getting my feet wet a couple years back was putting as much of my quarterly taxes in with any, obviously the policy, things like that. And then at the end of the year, paying my quarterlies and then paying the fine, I started to see, oh, this is starting to make sense. And then as that pot grew in my policy, I started realizing I could buy this rental property with cash. And that sort of snowballed me into, wow, I could pick up property after property. And then it turned into that Burr effect. If you're, I know you work with a lot of investors. So I started doing the Burr effect. And then, but that- So why don't you explain that Burr is buy, rent, buy, renovate. Uh, renovate. Now I'm going to draw it. Let's see. Buy, rent, renovate, rent, refinance, uh, refinance repeat. Yep. I haven't done one in two and a half years. And the reason is the same original frustration, which is the banks, right? So every time I tried to pull my money out, that bank would just drag me through the mud. And that was just that repeat itch. Where it was like just in a, a frustration that kept returning. And then I just started putting more money in my policy, started to open up more policies. So again, selling real estate, we've got the benefit of our cash influx can yeah. be pretty substantial at times. And so I just started putting everything in there, started seeing yeah. that compound interest the ability of that to grow, started to acquire more properties and uh, less refinancing. And I'm in a season of refinancing now because I've gotten into creative financing and owner doing owner financing with some other that what I'm seeing the elderly generation, like our grandparents have 30, 40 houses and they don't want to sell, but they don't want to manage it anymore. And so that's led me down that road. Yeah. And we'll get into creative financing in a second, but so take a step back. You could just have a ton of money in savings accounts. Yeah. And you would get the same kind of effect short term, correct? Like you have control. But the epiphany that you had was the long term compounding. Was there anything else about life insurance that was attractive, like death benefit, chronic illness rider, the different other benefits of life insurance? Or was it just the compound interest long term would then better than a savings account? No, I think definitely having that life insurance for my family. I'm married. I've got kids and that's attractive. It's a little bit more of a secure thing for me. And I think studying the history, knowing that really, I, and you correct me at this if I'm wrong, there's never been a loss ever and since the creation of the policy. That gives me a little bit of emboldenment, especially in light of these three banks that have just recently gone under. These are just a continual reinforcement yep. for me, but I definitely love the life insurance policy aspect. And that's huge for me. Yep. And just, yes, you're hundred percent right. The companies that we use, mutual companies, whole life, pay a dividend. That one thing that I think any, even the critics would say is they're very stable. They've been around for over a hundred years. They've been paying a dividend every single year, which that track record is hard to look at and hard to compete with other things. When you even look at the United States hasn't been around that long. Very, very interesting insight there. When you were pitched life insurance or brought to, this was brought to your attention. Was there anything negative? Was there anything that was like, okay, where did you understand the pros and cons? Or were you like, this is a no brainer? Talk to me about your headspace as it relates to this. Cause you said you went all in and 
there's all different type of people, but I'm just curious the, was there anything that was like holding you back or is there anything that was a turnoff that you just had to deal with before jumping all in? Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, for me, I dove in, I read 12 books in the first two months. Just, I stumbled upon your, your YouTube channel, dove into limp, listened to all of yours. And then I got 12 books. I just started devouring the books. And then once I did that, and then it started to make sense in my brain. Yeah. What were some of the books? And did you read, was And Asset one of the 12? You don't have to lie. Yeah, no, it was. (laughs) Yours was, I think the fourth one. So I started with Becoming Your Own Banker, Nelson, of course. The book that started it on for me was, and I think the title has changed since, but it's What Would the Rockefellers Do, I believe. A friend of ours, Garrett Gunderson. Yeah. Now I think it's called What Would Billionaires Do? Right. Thanks to the Rockefeller family giving uh, giving them a call and saying, hey, we don't appreciate you running ads using the Rockefeller's name. So that was a funny story. But yeah, yeah. But it an was, amazing you know, book and amazing. Books. Yep. 100%. Yeah. And they were the rest of them were like, I can't, I couldn't even tell you. I've got them in my Audible and I've got a couple on my, none of these actually are those books, but uh, these are books on debt, buying debt with the actual whole life policy. But anyway, yeah. So that was how I discovered it. And then being married, my wife had a little bit of questions as well. So it was slow. Let's try it out. And we pulled policies out on my wife, myself and my kids, because I felt that knowing I could pull the money to pay my taxes, I could see if it worked. To me, that was enough. And within about six to eight months, I was all in. I was, and this is probably deeper than your question. We're going to do some renovation on our house. And I put some of that money in there. Just, I'm just, I want to put as much in there as I can, because I believe the power of compounded interest. Yeah. So you, in another way of saying that is you had a refinance or you had a HELOC and you use some of that money to fund the life insurance. Yes. Yeah. And again, that's just trying to get that. I'm 44 and I'm a little behind and stacking that money in there. And that, that was, in my brain, like, oh man, how do I feed this thing as fast yes. and as deep as I can? Yeah. So I have to, just for all the compliance people out there, insurance people, I did not recommend this. And, and by the way, if you're watching at home, I wouldn't necessarily recommend to go refinance a house to fund that. But you're right. In some case scenarios, especially if it's disclosed, it can be a phenomenal. And it really comes down to not just mathematics, but it, the whole life insurance conversation comes down to are you better off having this in your life versus not? It's not just the rate of return. It's as an asset class. Are you better off having your monies there versus other areas? And I think when people understand that it's not an investment, right? it's a place to store your money that gives it multiple uses. Oh, by the way, protects you and keeps your money safe and gives you optionality and control. That's all I'll leave it. I'll leave it there. But uh, for all you compliance people, I just wanted to set the record straight on the on this interview. And I appreciate you sharing openly. You can say whatever you want. You don't have to worry. And I appreciate you sharing that. You went that far to say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to take some potentially dead money in my house and get it working. Yeah. And I, where that came from, other than that accelerated growth, our growth was I'm six to eight months before they start. I've got a couple hundred grand just sitting in my bank and I'm I'm itching to move it. And so I thought, well, I'll just store it in here. And then at the time I'm probably using it, I can re, I can kind of fill it with a little bit more of income, if that makes sense. So I wouldn't recommend it to, it's just something that I've done and it leads. And and I'll also note, it's not an arbitrage play either. Like in the short term, you're paying more interest, but that doesn't make it bad. It's just the, that's another thing that I think a lot of people 
misquote is like infinite banking is arbitraging your money. It's like, sure, if you're stacking all the benefits of life insurance, but it's not arbitraging it from the internal rate of return to the external control. Like that's not true, but it truly is giving your dollars more than one job. And that can be beneficial, especially if you understand all the benefits of life insurance. And so let's talk about, let's talk about you using your policy and the journey there, because it's I I know that you've have multiple policies. When was the first time that you used it, and was that also pretty crazy? You're like, I have a compounding asset, and I also borrowed against it to fund other assets. Did that was that one of those like epiphanies that you had to be like, wow, this actually would be pretty incredible, and why doesn't more people do this? Yeah, it, it left me there, right? So I the reason I used it, I understood the concept. And I was nervous to use it. I was forced into using it. I tried to buy a duplex a couple years ago and I needed a down payment. So I was like, I'll use this for the down payment. The loan with the bank kept becoming more and more requests. And I just, I really ran out of time and I ended up borrowing from my policy. And that was the first time I ever used it. I thought, that's, you mean you just wire it? into my bank. And it was, I mean, that, what you just mentioned is I thought this is so simple. Like how have I never learned this in my forties? Uh, that was how I stumbled into actually using it in that direction. Yeah. Yep. Is there anything else you want to talk about on the life insurance side? Anything like, I know a lot of times when we're dealing with spouses, one, one person gets it, one person's a little bit caught, like other, maybe doesn't get it when it comes to your family. Was there any epiphanies that your wife had had that got her more excited or was she like, all right, I think you're a little crazy, but I'm going to, I'm going to stay married to you and we'll see how this goes. Yeah, no, great question. I've been married over 15 years. So my wife's a little slower and safe in that regard. So she trusts me. So we started slow. She sees that it works now. I don't know that I'm that I want to invest it and use it and keep it rolling. She's not necessarily wired that way, but you know, just today I refinanced one and it appraised for another 120 120,000 over what I bought it for 4 months ago. So I actually have to open another policy with my wife because I'm paying back the loan. But then there's a little bit more that is going to cap me this year. So the quickest way is through my wife. So she's learning a little bit more. Probably not really something she cares to learn about, but it's important we believe for her to understand everything as well as I myself. Yep. So that's been helpful. Yep. And what's really neat is the, and I would assume that a big life insurance policy is probably on you. And so you're doing your thing. And if something ever does happen to you, you know that asset is going to pay more than you've ever put in to her and the family. And so it's just one of those self-fulfilling plans. I One of one of my mentors said, it's like life insurance is, is one of the only products that will insure like when you want, like w- whatever happens to you, w- like you'll be fine. And it's just one of those, it is, it's self-completing and not all of us will live to the mortality of 86. Some of us will live past that and uh, some of us uh, won't. And, yeah. and hopefully life insurance is a, is a great place regardless of your situation in that. Anything else you want to talk about life insurance? And I would love to shift to creative finance, but I, anything else that you'd like to share there? Honestly, there's not much more I want to share. I would just encourage if people have not jumped into it, definitely put your toes in the water. I think once you're in and you understand the basics, I think it just moves exponentially. And the idea of opening more policies, don't be scared to do that. 
versus getting one large policy out the gate. That's just a recommendation on my end. I have some clients slash investors that have jumped. They believe in it so quick once they understood it, they started with $15 million life insurance policy. That's not how I started. I started, give me a million and a half. And obviously over the years, I've grown that. Yeah, it's funny. I could not agree more. I'm a big fan of dipping your toes. And I think there's a lot of wisdom with that in anything that you do. A lot of times it's okay, we could talk about compound interest, but wait a year, your yeah. compound interest is not going to kill you. And, and a lot of times a lot more clarity will happen. And so I'll actually talk people down mm. from saying, hey, listen, like, it's okay, do it and maybe just stagger it. And it's a lot of times it's like you give yourself even more flexibility. And everyone usually feels good about that. And so I, I couldn't agree more. Like, obviously, you want to the way that we set up policies, again, creates more a ton of flexibility from the get-go, but you really want to be sensitive of that minimum payment, yeah. that base contribution, because that really, that needs to become a no-brainer. And the moment that keeps you up at night, um, it that becomes a problem. And so all that to say, I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. And I second, that's the reason I started losing. I'd never lost anything in the recession, but that fear of losing those rentals, I never want to feel that again. I never want to walk through that again. So I was like, let's start small. So if I never can increase, we're good. But yeah. Yep. What's your thoughts on emergency funds? A lot of real estate people just don't save. They don't keep money aside because they just feel like it's burning a hole in their pocket. I love having money off the Mm -hmm. side. I feel like I'm a better business person. I'm a better investor. What is your, what's your thesis as it relates to how much money you won't tap into for the sole fact that it's an emergency fund? Yeah, that's a great question. I'll share that with you. We try to keep three months of living and then outside of the three months, and that's in half of that is in like an online bank. Like we use Ally Bank. And then the other half is local where I could just walk right in, get that money. And then we keep our day-to-day bank account local, of course, too. And I'm a, for me, my wife needs, she's more cautious and I want peace in the home and it's a good yep. balance. It slows me down. I'm a big proponent, but we usually keep three months and then I've got a what we call a war chest. My friend Brett Tanner taught me that and just where the bulk of it really is in my whole life, but we keep about three months, just immediate. I could grab it. Yeah. Yeah. So you have about six months of safe, safe money that you're not going to tap into. And so that really is, you have a six month buffer. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And then we've got our rentals pay us monthly. So that's real nice. So if I have to move a month or so of that, it's okay. But overall, we've got six months there. Yeah. Cool. I think think that's good. And my challenge to anyone listening or watching is, what is that number for you? Mine looks more like a year. Does it make it better or worse? There's opportunity costs in whatever decision you make, but really figure that out. And your goal should be to get to that number as fast as possible, because then everything in above that, think of it like an, an investment fund. We are many funds walking around and you can invest your time, you can invest your money. And so you'll find when you start building that up, opportunities will seek you out. Something really bad happens if you're like, haven't built up that whatever that nut needs to be. One of the worst things you could do is take all your money and put it into something because it creates a lot more stress. And so obviously there's different stages of life. If you're 19 years old living at home, you can probably take more risk than my friend Nick here that has more has more responsibilities. And so everyone's situation is a little bit different, but I think there's a lot of wisdom as it relates to that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it because it's yep. something you have to think about daily, right? Even as a solo right. person, a single person. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about creative financing. So the 
there's a lot of people out there that talk about it. I think it's a big deal when it comes to real estate. Interest rates are going sky high. And a lot of people are like, oh, I can't do real estate because I can't do traditional lending or work with banks or it just doesn't make sense. Creative financing opens up so many doors. I want to give Pace Morby a shout out. I think he's one of the best people talking about this in just period. I love how he shows up, love how authentic he is. And so huge shout out to him. But talk to me about your experience with that. And is there any nuggets that you can give to the Better Wealth community on how they can utilize creative financing to better their finances? Yeah, I think it goes back to what you said. Once you focus on something, opportunity presents itself. And that's what happened to me. I started using my policy to buy properties and I've got a team and a real estate team. And my challenge to our agents is to own your home and then own an investment property. And so what I started to see with our agents as rates have gone up is, man, I can help you with the down payment or I could help you with your closing costs, things of that nature. And started to realize my buyers and sellers, they have the same struggle. Just the other day, last month, actually, February, I had a seller who needed five grand for a moving truck, put a deposit down on a rental because he moved out of state. So I'm able to help him in creative ways that I had never thought of in the past. Yeah. And part of that's just the velocity of my money moving, continually moving. And uh, as I began to focus on those opportunities, more opportunities started opening up. But there's obviously an extreme. You could give money to a builder who wants to build one house and you can partner with them in that way all the way down to, okay, I'll help you with your moving cost. And some of my agent friends just across the country help with remodeling people's houses, giving them a little bit of a little bit of a money can move as far as the interest you charge. Awesome. Awesome. Any other money hacks or epiphanies that you've learned in your 44 years of living that would help us? Wow. That's a great, I think the biggest thing right now is I'm, I've really delved into the creative financing with owner financing. A lot of our old, what I would say is our grandparents slash maybe all the way down into the 65, 70s. They want to get out, but they've done this 1031 forever. They don't know what to do with the properties. They're exhausted, but they need that passive income. And so you can get creative by giving a lump sum down to these people and then pay them monthly and you continue to work the rents to where yep. it works in your favor of a good way. Repair the homes, bring it back to a good standard. So I'm just verbally processing here. So you have someone who's collected a lot of homes, they have mm-hmm. a portfolio and they're probably getting cash flow because probably a lot of the homes are paid off kind of deal, but yeah. they're they're not in the business of wanting to be landlord anymore. And so a way to do it is you're saying sell, seller finance. So instead of having to go to the bank, deal with the bank on today's interest rates, we go to the, se- the seller, the i.e. the people that want to offload this. And instead of giving them all the money, we take the deed of the home. We pay them something so they get some money. But if we gave them all the money, they have a big tax problem. So now we're paying them. And so they're getting a stream of income. Yeah. And if we ever stop paying those payments, I'm assuming they would get their house back. Yeah. Maybe. And so it'd be one of those like they're protected, but it also allows us to get into real estate without having to go to the banks with today's interest rates to apply for 40, 40 plus homes, which would be impossible. Yeah. And so we win, they win. And it seems like creative finance done well is a win for everybody. Is, did I say that right or is there a piece no, that I missed? absolutely or? right. What you have is you're going to put a lump sum down and you work that out with your with the seller of the properties, right? So each of it could change 
And depending on their circumstance defines how much you put down. And then sometimes they want a larger chunk each month. So you put less down. And so that's just obviously the term creative financing and having, I believe we're living in the time right now where it's going to be the tremendous opportunity for us. And so I I agree. Yeah. If you don't have money, you don't have to have money. You can borrow it from someone like myself for creative and like a hard money, if you will, but you can become very creative. You can give somebody a little bit of long-term passive income, but not ownership for giving you the down. Right. It's just, it's endless. And they're the nuggets. We could talk for hours on it, just scenario wise. Yep. I love it. I love it. And I would encourage people, if you have more questions, I'm sure Nick, you'll make yourself somewhat available to, to oh, people reaching out. And I would just encourage you to learn more about that because if you're someone who's not getting to where you want to go and you're using money as an excuse, you can take the creative financing pre-frame and apply it to anything. You can apply it to businesses. You can apply it to real estate. And you can apply it to even outside of like gaining skills. I think the most no-brainer creative financing way of thinking is if you're young and want to gain skill sets, working for free strategically could be a way to gain those skill sets creatively. Instead of going to school and paying X, Y, or Z, you could potentially learn from someone that's better to teach you, potentially even get paid for it. And a lot of people like are so anti, oh, your time is worth more. If you're basing your time like hourly asset, I could, I would rather make $7 an hour doing something and learning than making $100 an hour doing something that has no upside. So all that to say, man, I appreciate you sharing that. I think the creative financing can be applied to almost any area of our life. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much opportunity. I think one of the things COVID brought us was that gap year, right? Just seeing a massive amount of people skipping a year of college. And now I believe I read an article yesterday about less people signed up for college. I think, I don't know if it's the Southeast or where, but less people are going back. They're doing trades. And again, back to what you're saying, link up with somebody, even what you teach every day and what you can learn from just what you're teaching. People could set their whole lifestyle, their family tree in a whole different trajectory. And it's just incredible the day and age we live in right now. I agree, dude. I agree. Anything else you want to say before I ask you my last question? No, it's good. I mean, just appreciate you having me on, man. And I appreciate all the content you're pushing out. So you teach me every time I'm learning a video. So it's awesome. I appreciate that. I appreciate you reaching out. And I just want to share if anyone wants to be on the show, talk about your experiences. We're going to do more of this because I love interviewing that like important people, quote unquote, authors, people that are thought leaders. But I'm, but I've actually learned more in a lot of cases having conversations, having dinners, interacting with people that are ordinary, just like me. And we, a lot of the ideas that we come up with are brilliant. And so I'm, I want to do very, I want to balance this by having different perspectives because I think we can learn no matter who we're listening to and that just will make us more rounded. So thank you for being brave, reaching out and very much appreciated it. My last question for you is a question that I think will serve you and also will serve everyone here. And the question goes like this, if this is your last day on earth, and you're with the people that you love the most, and you can't give them anything, no money, no book, you know, nothing in writing, no videos, but you just have one last conversation. What are you going to make sure to highlight in that conversation and say to the people that you love the most? That's a great question. I think since COVID, a lot of what I've thought about is just my family, my, my primary, my wife and my kids. And uh, I believe I come from a pretty rich heritage. And I'm originally from New Orleans, and we took the kids during 
down to New Orleans. So just pouring into them about the heritage of who their grandparents are, who their great grandparents are, and just the honor and the dignity that was passed down in our family is extreme importance to me. And we want to instill that in our children. Um, and that's a major focus today. And I think going on in the year. So if I had one more day with them, it would just be to sit with them probably in a sunny day overlooking the, the mountains and, and a lake and just pour into them about who they are, their destiny, and then also where they come from and the heritage that they carry. And I appreciate you. Appreciate that answer. I think that gives a lot of context to who you are. We'll put you, the way, the best way that you prefer to get contacted in the description below. We'll also do that in the podcast. Is there any final words that, that you have before we end today? No, man, I just, I would encourage anyone listening, you just delve deep into what you're passionate about. I think yeah. your destiny's found both with your people who you feel most connected with, and also when you discover what your passion, when it's yeah. aligned with your destiny, man, I would just push hard into that. And I think uh, one of the ways that you do what you're doing, how you speak what you're passionate about, it comes out through your material and through all your teaching, man. You're a great model for anybody. Yeah. Thank you. This is a framework that I use for this is the person that can give, look at where you can leverage the ability to give to others. That a lot of times will be where our passion is. So the value of your life, and I got this from Andy Stanley, the value of your life is always measured by how much of it was given away. I very much believe the person that can give the most, whether that's money, whether that's time, whether that's just inspiration, is truly going to be living at a higher frequency. Not to not that anyone is more important than others, but I believe if you can figure out a way to live where you can be giving to others, that is going to be a lot of where your passion lies. Maybe not always, but if you're like someone that's, oh, I like everyone's like telling me to find my passion. I watch TED Talks, find your passion. Reverse that and say, what do I love doing and where what can I bless other people with? And if yeah. you can find that and you can find ways to do that more and more, life gets really fun. And if you're not doing that, if you're taking what Jeff Bezos talks about in his last letter to the shareholders and Amazon saying, we, you should consume less than you create. And I think that's another metaphor of if you are consuming more than you're creating, you're probably not loving life. But if you can create more value, give more than what you're consuming, that's a really mm -hmm. good metric in life to be at. Man, I appreciate that and appreciate this conversation. And I would love to hear your thoughts in the comments below. What was a big takeaway? What questions do you have? I'm going to do a better job answering your questions. If you want to learn more about life insurance, the AND asset, whatever we want to call it, we have an AND asset vault down below and you can go check that out. And we're trying to give you as much free content as possible to help you make the decision. Is this something that I want in my life or not? So Nick, thank you. And we'll see you next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.